Welcome back to the Service Design Podcast. I'm David Morgan, and together with Stina von Hof and in collaboration with the Service Design Network, we bring you conversations about service design from around the world. Today, I'm not recording this intro by myself. I'm sitting here with Stina. Hey, Stina, how's it going? Hello, I'm great. So today is going to be a bit of a different episode than usual. Night Moves, the agency we both work at, organizes Arena, an event in which we have several speakers around a single topic. And we took the opportunity to make the podcast part of the program by organizing a roundtable with the speakers after the talks. And today you can listen to our first live episode. Uh, Stina, what was the topic of this edition of Arena? Well, this edition was about robotics and we had two very interesting uh, companies who were speaking. Uh, Jan de Koster from Slightly Overdone and Divi Temeer and Michiel van den Driese of Craftworks. And they are both um, busy with actually already building uh, robots for a couple of years. So it was very inspiring to hear them talk about uh, their experiences so far. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was really fun to have two very different types of robotics designers. I think uh, Jan was really t designing the emotional interaction with robots Whereas uh, the guys from Craftworks were really uh, uh, solving functional problems in designing their robots. Yeah, I think that was also, it was a very interesting contrast. But I do think they, uh, the both approaches need each other. Like, for example, uh, David and Michiel from Craftworks, they were uh, really solving uh, problem problems the market is having now. For example, they uh, were thinking about how a ro robot could help in um, hosting people at an uh, insurance company. So the robot was serving the people who would enter in the shop with some coffee and already ask them some first questions before they were uh, brought to the right person in the company to talk to, which is really solving an actual uh, problem that is already living in those companies. But then uh, Jan uh, was really designing people he was really designing characters mm. and i think that's also a really interesting approach yeah yeah in jan's case his robots are, are truly unique there's only a single one of each of those robots and they have a huge personality whereas pepper the robot in principle is uh yeah just comes from the factory floor there's lots of the same robots uh, and yeah, might have less of a personality Yeah, I think on the one hand, that's true. But on the other hand, I also think the robots who are coming from a factory can also develop their own personality. Like it depends where they are uh, born and which kind of people are programming the robots. If it's programmed in uh, China, it will be a t totally different robot than the one who is programmed in Belgium. And I also think over time they will uh, evolve and they will get their own personality and also... Uh, become uh, a certain character and also be different like every robot will be will be different i think yeah that's true and we we talked about this with them uh, briefly but the idea that yeah they would just replace pepper with another version that doesn't feel like <laughs> it's the same thing as replacing your your laptop or something yeah. uh, it's not just a piece of software you very quickly attach yeah emotional expectations even to a pepper robot i found yeah definitely you could already see it with the audience they were really 
interacting with the pepper and with the other robots as well as if it was were people and as if they had feelings and that you shouldn't ignore them during the event so that was really uh interesting to see <laughs> do you see yourself having a service design project anytime soon where you would actually implement a robot like pepper the robot i would love to do that but uh, you could of course see that it still needs uh, the technology needs some development but i do still already see some uh, projects where uh, robots could be used also maybe um, more um, chatbots uh, i think chatbots is a really interesting development like uh, one of our projects we talked about that what do you think about that kind of uh, technology yeah i think chatbots are definitely very feasible uh, to make um and uh, they're, they're really quite matured the technology by now and i think it can make an interaction with wow with a very complex set of data and finding your way through that can make that a lot easier mm -hmm. yeah i remember one project for a government um we did where there was a lot of very complicated content and um, people had to navigate through it, but it was impossible to find things. And we were also having a very hard time in structuring the content in a logical way. But I think in these kind of projects, it would be super interesting to, um, to work with chatbots so that people can just ask questions and that the, they can have a conversation and find the right content through a conversational way instead of going through a whole flow of information and finding their way themselves. Mm, definitely. I think one of the things when, when I interview people uh, in, in, in government, governmental projects, um, then one thing everybody seems to want is for the government to become more proactive. And I think in an interaction with a chatbot, you already have a little bit more of a proactivity like a, a chatbot can actively ask you questions it asks you what do you need and i think that will yeah can bring you to where you need to be much quicker but it can also bring you to information that you didn't know you were looking for like if it's about subsidies for instance <laughs> the problem is you don't know that they exist a, a chatbot can help you find things that are relevant for your unique situation Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great opportunity. But do you also think like in that way, the robots are kind of taking over a job of what now people are doing? Do, do you see that as a risk? Well, they're certainly taking over jobs. I think that's one is one thing that's clear. If you look at factories, etc., there's already many, many, many jobs being taken over uh, for a long time. Um, I think also the types of jobs are changing that can be taken over by by robots but still uh, the way i like to think about it is that it's the the very menial the jobs that people do not want to do those are the ones that can be taken over by robots and that leaves us with time for more meaningful work yeah i also really believe that there are so many jobs that would be better that robots could do like the really repetitive work so that we as humans can focus on more meaningful work and more qualitative uh, work. So then I don't immediately see it as a threat, but more as an opportunity to uh, give more meaning to our jobs and to yeah, design better services as well, because there will be some time for, for humans to uh, 
that will be free because robots can can organize certain things more uh, efficient. I think it's a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's not something to underestimate the impact mm -hmm. it will have on society. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we really do uh, need to think about what what are we going to do with this transformation or this revolution where where many jobs are going to disappear. I think government prob should also consider this very much and uh, think about how we're going to create these new jobs in time. Yeah, I think service design can actually uh, really help in these kind of big questions that companies are having. Uh, we we already see it now if we are designing a platform, an internal pl platform that will change the way people work, that they feel threatened for their jobs, but that we, from the beginning of the project, already see uh, where the threats are and how we can um, manage those so that people don't feel like they're losing their, their work and that we are repositioning people in the project. And I guess with robots, it's actually just the same process that we can, together with companies, think about their company culture, about how they should organize the work internally. So I think we can uh, we can really help as service designers in this big question. Yeah, I think I think we need to help as service designers as well, because I think it's very important that this whole problem is not approached from a technical standpoint, that it's not only technolo technologists thinking about how can we use robotics to solve problems and make things more efficient, but that we really think about it in a, in a human way and think about how humans interact with these robots and what impact it has on organizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that is still nowadays, most people that are designing robots are still very technically uh, educated and are focusing on the technical parts, um, but that, that it's really time to also focus on the more human side and make those robots more human-centered, um, because that will be crucial in uh, bringing them inside the world. It, the technology in itself will not, will not be meaningful. Mm. One of the robots we saw in the uh, introduction of uh, Dave of Night Moves, I thought that was an interesting example. It was uh, a robot that worked in a supermarket and uh, it took over part of a manager's job. So it wasn't a robot that made sure that all the, the boxes and the products in the supermarket uh, were put in a straight way. No, this robot was the one that actually checked if people did their job well <laughs> and if I think about that one, I can imagine that that would give a little bit of resistance <laughs> to uh, to the people working in that supermarket. You mean that the robot would uh, tell them what they can do or can't do? Or <laughs> well, it, it would at least tell them if they're doing their job right or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. So I think it's uh, time to listen to uh, the roundtable we had at Arena. Um, before we start that, I also uh, want to let you know we'll be um, doing a second arena soon. Um, what's the topic going to be there, Stina? Well, for the second arena, we will be uh, focusing on VR, so on virtual reality. And we have some very interesting speakers that are already busy with this uh, topic for a while. So I'm super curious what they will uh, tell about this new technology. I'm looking forward to that. 
One apology before we uh, get started with uh, the round table. Um, we were working with a lot of new technology and uh, recording this live episode. And unfortunately, we didn't record the first one or two minutes of the round table. Um, so apologies for that, but uh, I think you'll have no problem in uh, getting into uh, the conversation and hope you enjoy it. Until next time. Bye. beings that would be very inappropriate i think i'm not sure what your girlfriend would think about that <laughs> when you replaced her could you just wear her clothes and uh, and act the same way and it will all be fine i'm sure so that's uh, exactly what is for me uh, a little bit um, yeah disturbing about that idea they're all uh, looking exactly the same and uh, of course from a practical standpoint this is for SoftBank and, and more an IT product than an, uh, yeah, a person robot that uh, will develop a personal story in life. So do you think it's important in robots to make sure that there, there are individual differences between each robot? Well, this example I just gave is one of the important uh, issues there. I think if, if, um, if we want to feel comfortable about around robots in 20, 30 years, there needs to be some base uh, um, yeah, uh, level of, of appropriate behavior around each other. And uh, if we behave correctly towards the robots, they will act as, uh, they will behave normally towards us too. That's why the Terminator story is a very interesting Hollywood scenario. But uh, if we just keep uh, acting uh, like we're all um, cool to each other, um, then the robots will be okay, they won't kill us. So that is the principal answer. If we let Boston Dynamics uh, do their way and let them keep building a very scary weapon, weaponized robots, of course, one day there will be a robot at your front door that shoots you to bits. That's just common sense, I think. That also makes me think of the, the Boston Dynamics video where people are kicking the robot and uh, make, showing how well he can stand up again. But you can't help but feel uh, one day that a robot will see that video and think, ooh, <laughs> I've got to get back to you for that. Yeah. Jan, you are giving your uh, robots uh, all a character. I'm curious if this is something you're doing as well with a Pepper robot. Is it something that already... Uh, you have been thinking about, like, how can we design a character that uh, is suiting him, for example, for a certain certain situation like the insurance uh, company? Well, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's actually uh, we we kind of design a corporate character when we are designing applications with the Pepper, and basically we imagine like if we imagine this company. What kind of person would that be? What kind of person would that company like to be? And based on that, we uh, start designing applications for the Pepper and try and put this personality into the Pepper as much as possible. And we always try to put some humor in it as well. I don't know if you saw the pictures, but the pictures were like... Ah, they were not... They didn't work. Okay. Um, okay, the pictures, they were supposed to be funny. Uh, 
but yeah okay <laughs> um so humor is something that we we try to build into it yeah i can also imagine for an insurance company that trust for example is also quite important to gain from people so that you can design the character in such a way that it evokes uh trust uh with the customers that are approaching it is that something that you're like thinking about yeah but it was just trying to be a little bit entertaining and have a nice chat with the customer And then I think it will trust him. Uh, it will trust him. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, he basically has the looks going for him. He looks very cute and people instinctively go to him and build up a, a relationship even before they start talking to him. So this makes it quite easy for us to design, um, like scary or less than ethical applications for insurance companies because he already has like a very cute look and people will start going to him no matter what, no matter the context even. So we've been talking also about uh, in the future, we're going to be interacting more with robots. Um, I think yeah, the current generation of children, they will be interacting with robots uh, differently, of course. Uh, you showed a picture of one of your children with one of your robots. Do you see a difference in the way children interact with your robots than adults? Of course, the, the environments that I create where children are in contact with my robots is always uh, like uh, focusing on the character. So, of course, my, my kids, they're living in the house with uh, 10 or 12 now robots around them. So they more or less follow the story that I develop around them. So it's not just a machine. It's also not biological life, obviously, but it's something in between. It's um, it's like if you read a book and there is a character inside, you close the book and then the character is suspended in the, the story there. You open the book again and the, the, the character is uh, is living inside the book. These robots, they're actually having a life like we have. It's just not biological. But you can see um, the... Uh, that they spend time with us, so they, you can see dents and scratches growing, and you can see that they're around people for a long time. So they perceive them not just as a, a fictional, imaginary uh, character, but it's an actual, almost living creature around them. So my kids, they're, of course, exposed to them all the time, but also in workshops where we have really limited time with the kids, you can see this this need for a connection with this character growing really fast. That's really encouraging encouraging for my side of the story, I think. The first thing a child seems to ask to uh, to uh, about Pepper is, can he do a dab? I, I don't know if you know a dab. Yeah, I saw it. It's, it's, it's something like, like this. <laughs> and and uh, it was very funny because we had built it when we were going to a, to a primary school. And the first question was, can you do a dab? And he did it, and the childs were just amazed. <laughs> amazed. Yeah, so I, I actually gave the workshop uh, last week in a primary school. And it, is, it was quite endearing and, and funny to see how these children instantly connect with this robot. Uh, so even before he was out of his packaging, I had like 10 kids swarming around me asking me a question like, oh, is that, is that a robot inside the box? And I'm like, yeah, 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 no, yeah. Oh, but isn't he lonely in there? Isn't it too dark for him? And, and I was like taken aback. I was like, oh, but... Oh, but he's sleeping right now. <laughs> and oh, okay, okay. Then, then, then it's fine for them. But oh, it's, 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 it was amazing to see how children react to robots. And they, they don't seem to make a real distinction between persons and, and robots. They, they, they expected it to 
performed like a human did. They asked him human questions and hoped he would respond to their questions. So, yeah, children are definitely the main uh, demographic for robots like that. Why do you think adult, adults are sometimes a little bit hesitant? What is the reason that they hold back from this uh, character? Hmm. I think they're more realistic and they know it's just a computer. And, and childs have more fantasy, I guess, about, about these robotics. Well, if I can reply, uh, men will always see a machine there that is, uh, has to be figured out, and women will often uh, see the, more the character and want to engage with it on an emotional level. Of course, it's not strict. You often see men wanting to engage emotionally too. But it's really um, uh, in striking to see this, this, this uh, distinction, and it's also... Most of the time with adults, so kids don't have that that uh, issue at all. But um, the the need to want to figure out the machine and the the mechanics behind it is is often really overwhelming over the desire to have a, an emotional link with them. Yeah. yeah, I think everyone always asks himself like, how does it work? Instead of like, who who is this robot? We we when we are. Uh, Engaging with people, with uh, Steve the robot or with, with Arthur now, uh, we often um, use a, yeah, a voice actor who is backstage talking for the robot. And uh, I've had dozens of questions about the AI engine that we're using uh, with these robots. So that is purely because the AI engine is too expensive for our our projects right now. So in the future, there will obviously be an AI engine speaking for the robot, for, but we're, now we're using a voice actor. But if people just assume that there is an AI engine just by looking at the machine, that's really promising. That means that it's working. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, great to hear that you both give workshops to children with uh, robots. Um, do you think robots can play a role in education? How uh, do you, would you see that? Yes, this is, yeah, this is definitely the case. So, um, so it, it might be something of a novelty thing that children are disinterested in robots, but I would definitely imagine seeing kids being glued. They, they were actually, I, one of the questions that I was asked by the children was, can he count to 20? And I was like, yes, of course he can count to 20. So I had him count to 20. And for the entire time that he was counting, the children were simply, absolutely silent glued to simply a robot counting so i think like if you can uh, well not replace a teacher but can you can enhance the teacher with a robot who brings educational content in a in an, a novel and entertaining way it can definitely be something that children would be interested in children really really believe in sometimes even more than humans so that's also interesting for uh, rehabilitation in a hospital when they, they, the, the, the robot um, uh, performs exercises and they have to do the same exercises. And that's sometimes uh, more interesting with a robot than with a human being for children to accept these exercises. I think there is even a, a more important picture with the education part. Uh, I think teaching children and everybody uh, that is interested about robotics and helping them make their first robot is the first way to uh, to emancipate these robots in our society to make sure that everybody welcomes them as as more an an, an equal part of our society and not just as uh, as slaves or as something that will be a threat 
to our uh, existence at one stage uh, in the future. So if we get more people uh, from a broader spectrum involved in designing, creating robots, not just the engineers, not just uh, uh, people uh, engaged in, in the mechanical uh, parts, but everybody who is interested in characters or in social uh, interaction between people should be involved. I think there are quite a lot of designers in the audience, so I'm curious what you guys think could be the role of uh, designers in uh, designing robots, because now a lot of uh, interfaces are designed, but I can imagine that really changes when you have this creature in front of you. Yeah, I think the design of a robot is almost exclusively almost exclusively determines the way people react to the robot so actually uh, if you go on the aldebaran website you will find that they are now working on a successor to the pepper robot and this pepper robot while being more advanced looks very creepy to me and to me if i see this robot i almost immediately get an aversion and i don't want to talk to it while Well, I see the pepper, I see these large uh, eyes looking at me, and I'm immediately drawn to it. So design is is very, very important. So you, you can't have like a friendly robot who looks like the Terminator, for example. You need something that draws people in and makes them feel, feel at ease. I think it's important to know here that the pepper was one of the last characters they designed in, in France that has still that link with uh, European culture. And the Asian robots are just really appealing to the, the culture, to the people there. But there is this gap between our uh, cultures that is hard uh, yeah, to cross, with, uh, especially with designing characters and, and robots. So I'll, I'm sure there will be a challenging uh, time for them there to make them uh, look appealing for uh, people over here too. So I hope they open up the designs and uh, make them look differently too. Um, um, but because uh, when when I was I, I had the fortune to be in touch with some of the designers of the Aldebaran uh, before they went to to SoftBank, and it was really um, the people told me that they were really dreaming about this character that could live in any home in any environment and looking at it from a, a very uh, yeah, imaginary place and the, the sad thing is uh, I, i don't want to be the negative voice here but the sad thing is that now at softbank that's more uh, digressed to to an an id product that has to be shipped in as many copies uh, as possible um, and I'm afraid it will go down the same way with uh, as Ibo did, which was an amazing artificial character, the Ibo dog from Sony that has uh, they finished production uh, seven years ago now, but there are still thousands of people really passionate about their Ibo dog uh, and taking care of it in, in, in clubs they created themselves to make uh, spare parts so they can keep their Ibo dog alive. But Sony just didn't see any point in keeping the IT product that was called the Ibo going while it is a, a character with uh, an emotional link to very human to a lot of human beings on this planet yep. uh, that's actually a question I wrote down when you were talking about your robot going from Mexico to Russia um, I, I wondered indeed is there a cultural difference in robots is a robot designed in one country 
going to be different from a robot designed in another country? Well, I'll answer from my character design background because then it's just more more general. Character design is a, a, a magical thing that is hard to define in strict uh, rules. Uh, there has to be something that is engaging. Uh, what people, um, what makes people wonder what's going on there? Why do I want to know what's going on with this character? And it's hard to define what this magic thing is. But for some reason, people in Russia, in Moscow, are really crazy about Rachel. They they loved her. They, there were posters all over the city. They didn't really care about copyrights at all. But I was cool with that. It was it was kind of an honor to see her everywhere. But they love this character. And I don't know why. Maybe there are references with just popular characters in, in Russia from the 70s or 80s. It's hard to say. But um, she's really popular there. And, and, and you see different reactions to other characters in other countries. Uh, you were just talking about uh, the dog of uh, Sony, the robot dog, and that people were trying to keep him alive. How do you see, are your robots immortal or will they at some point disappear? Uh, of, of course, they are, they are mortal. At some point, they will be destroyed be, be, uh, beyond any recognition and then they will be probably dead, as you call it. But um, for now, I'm seeing them progress uh, through a form of uh, a lifespan. So Rachel started out as just without legs, just on a table, and now she has legs, but she's not mobile yet. At some point, maybe in the next year, she will have uh, wheels to drive around, and uh, maybe one day she will walk bipedal. Who knows? So they will evolve. That is one way to um, to see their, their uh, lifespan. Uh, the oldest one... Yummy, he's not here because he, he really looks like a beaten up grandfather of a robot and he needs some restoration, so I don't take him out as much anymore. But you can see that he's been to many places and many kids touched him and, 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 and played around with him. So, um, that is, um, I, I can't help but then make the, the, the link, the connection with uh, a character like, uh, like the Pepper or the, um, like the now robot. Where uh, for me it's it's harder to see this uh, this connection and this uh, way to progress. I would think if the pepper, like you showed also, if the pepper breaks down tomorrow, there is another one and you just upload the software, so you have the same character again. But yeah, makes you wonder how you will interact with uh, other people or other characters in your environment at a certain stage. Yeah. Well, I think it's quite interesting that you mention immortality for robots, because I actually think that uh, robots could become uh, immortal quite easily, but you just have to look beyond the physical side. So if you say that a robot's personality is encoded in its programming, and as you said, like once this robot breaks down, we can simply transfer the program to another robot, this could be considered a bit like robot heaven, where your body dies, but your soul, your programming lives on. And then we can simply transfer it into another body. But you could even see uh, robotic programming being entirely uh, uploaded to the cloud, which then becomes totally independent of their uh, physical body. So then we move beyond oh, sorry, the robotic side of the story, but we go into the AI philosophy of things. But yeah, th this is actually a form of immortality for robots, I think. Mm -hmm. 
Well, if you watch the movie Her or the Black yeah. Mirror episode, you know that never ends completely happy. It's not. It's never <laughs> the positive story you hope for. Um, um, so I won't spoil it. You just have to watch the whole Black Mirror uh, epi uh, season and also the movie Her. But it's not. I often get that example to explain to me. See, you don't need a physical body to have uh, a conscious. Uh, uh, artificial um, intelligence uh, but the movie shows that you need it It's the movie sh makes the point that without the physical body the whole uh, link with uh, physical space is gone and that um, leads to fading away into eternity that's really philosophical. I wasn't counting on this kind of discussions here. <laughs> I think uh, that might be a good time to give the opportunity to the audience for uh, questions. Does anybody have a question for one of uh, our speakers? Don't be shy. <laughs> You've had some time to think. <laughs> yes. Do you, do you also consider um, designing the conversations that you put into these robots because you made the the uh, the rules about the copy thing and the the um, personality uh, test which which I think is quite funny but then on the other end it's also robots that will help you get a car insurance so how does it really fit I mean you have to make it fit and you have to kind of design this experience also so do you take this into consideration I'm just going to repeat the question uh, very briefly. Uh, in, in what way do you consider designing the, the conversation with the robots? <laughs> That's quite a hard question. I would say that we imagine, so as we said earlier, we like to think of a corporate persona for our robots. So then we actually think like, okay, so imagine this robot is an employee. How would an employee of an insurance company handle customers well he wouldn't go straight out of the bat with in with like complicated formulas and and all kinds of different plans the way you start out is by beginning casual small talk just like we humans do and that's actually the way we design conversations we basically imagine uh, a human partner sitting next to us and imagine what would what would he what should he say to me, to make me feel at home, to make me feel like this is a valuable employee. There are also different scenarios for men and women. So when he detects a man in front of him, he says, uh, you look like a strong guy that you work out last night. When it's a woman, he says, hey, are those new shoes you're wearing? Which is a little bit... Um, um, <laughs> okay, you understand? Um, but there are different scenarios. You can do uh, a scenario for older people, or older men, older women, younger men, younger women, child, all different scenarios for those different uh, targeted people. Any more questions? Yes. I would like to know how you, as, as uh, young company and developers, uh, how you tackle this social and ethical skills, apart from developing the technology and, and connecting it with the IT, you need a lot of social skills and ethical experience. How do you do that? So the question is, indeed, how do you tackle the social skills and the ethical experience in designing your robots? No, as a, oh. as a company, more as a startup, oh. as, a, as so, you're 25, you need to program social skills you don't have, because you're too young for that. We actually 
collaborated <laughs> with, with, with another uh, company which focuses mainly on that, on the psychology of uh, and, and the social skills. And we did a lot of brainstorm sessions with them uh, to know how a robot should act in this insurance environment. And then we came up with the entertainment factor on the one hand, business value on the other hand, and how we should interact with the customers with some jokes. And we invented some jokes. And this is actually how we, how we tackled that problem. All right. Uh, I'd like to ask everybody to give one more big round of applause for Jan, David, and Michiel. Hey, are you still there? David. Yeah? There's still someone here. What? They probably just have their phone in their pocket and can't switch the episode off. Or perhaps they just want more. You could go to servicedesignpodcast.com and find all the episodes so far. Or you can subscribe and rate the podcast. That would be tremendously helpful to us. And of course, you can join in on a conversation on Facebook and ask us questions and suggest guests. Thanks for being here. Until next time.